Welcome back everybody to the Electric Priest Podcast. I'm your host Sean McInerney. Hope you're all well. Now this is episode 22 and the final episode of season one of the Electric Priest Podcast. And to top it all off, I am talking with John Kramer. Now John is a big figure in the UK improv scene. He's founder of The Maydays and had a big impact on two of my guests, Steve Rowe and Neil Curran. He is a fantastic improv mind and he's such an interesting guy to talk with. So without further ado, here is my chat with John Kramer. So, John, how did you get into performing? Oh, wow. Um, So in 1993, I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I went and saw a show by the Oxymorons. It was a short form show. And at the end of the show, they said, we can teach you how to do this. Um, oh, and I was a star theater. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I did my homework. Don't worry. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. God. Um, yeah. So I started going to classes on a Wednesday. I got invited to the Monday class, which was the advanced one. And then they said, you know, do you want to be in a show? And I just, that was it. I got hooked and nice. I did. So sorry, just yeah. just uh, you're, you're breezing through mm. a very big improv journey. <laughs> mm. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so you went to had you done no performing ever before? No, I, I'm I'm a painfully shy introvert. So uh, I no. Long story short, I had wow. So you you'd never mm. performed before. You go to an improv show, and for most mm. people, that you see it, you think I could never do that. But you saw mm. it and you thought, I want to do this, and you're a very shy introvert. What, what was the impetus for that? Um, well, the only ambition I ever had as a child uh, was to join the Monty Python Flying Circus team. I, I assumed I assumed I would leave school and, and just it would be an open door, really, because I knew all their stuff and I, I watched it every week. And, and then they, they, they disbanded. And I was just like, I guess the only time I ever really got close to performing was when I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, English class. And we were, we were asked to put something on. And uh, a group of us wrote a sort of Python-esque type um, performance, which we gave, which was quite Dadaistic, really, because what we did was... Uh, the setup was everyone went out of the room and we got ready and then they came back in the room. And what we did was, um, instead of doing like a little thing like everyone else had done, we just sat there on desks facing them and they sat down and we went, what did you think of the show then? Did you enjoy it? And they're like, what? And they're like, wasn't it great? What were your favourite bits? And they go, well, we haven't, we haven't seen it. We haven't, and we're like, oh, don't tell us we've got to do it again, you know. Yeah, so that was the sort of Python-esque dardaistic surreal framework that we that we had that was always a big part of my mindset got you so it was always kind of there at the back of your mind mm. but then mm. seeing this show in arizona it unleashed something in you is that fair to say i would say so yeah i would say it um it really got me intrigued and um engaged and you know, you, you very quickly get addicted to it. It's it's an addictive form of behaviour. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was talking to other human beings, which was unusual for me. So uh, I, it was it was amazing. Wow. And, like, 
what were you doing in Arizona at that time? Were you traveling or were you working or what brought you there? I was living there. Uh, I had moved there in 1985. Uh, my dad was living there, so I had a place to stay. And I was just basically doing what it seems like English English blokes do in America, which is you kind of do whatever you've dreamed of, like things that you couldn't or didn't do back home. So I just sort of did what I felt like. So I, I just had a, a bunch of different jobs that I did that weren't really jobs so I worked as a sculptor I worked in Montessori education I made big tabletops I made fountains uh I just did a whole bunch of different things and and, and of course I, yeah I bought an enormous car which seems compulsory for English people in America you have to buy I bought a 1965 Plymouth Fury which could comfortably sit six Americans and they're big so yeah why? So uh, you were going to have a cathartic <laughs> experience in Arizona and then improv kind of fell into that Yeah, so I, I was making very big pots. So I was making these enormous pots. As you do. In, in, yeah, in my back garden. And, and not having much interaction with human beings genuinely. So, so yeah, so I was, I was living a kind of reclusive life and then discovered this art form. Wow. So it was just yeah. right place, right time. You saw the yeah. show and it just hit you yeah. and then you start doing the classes. And it was a short form show, did you say? It was a short form show. It was clean. Uh, we used to have children in the audience. So we, it was, it was, you know, you know, very clean. There wasn't, there was no, there was no the occasional double entendre, which of course I enjoyed, but nothing, nothing dirty or overt or sexual. Um, very fast paced. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. And our director, the director was fantastic. Louis Anthony Russo, a fine human being who was wonderfully supportive and positive and just, just really, yeah, was really, really special person. Sounds like a fantastic environment to be yeah, in yeah. the form. And how long were you training there before you started performing? It wasn't that long. It was only a few months. I remember they just said to me, "Do you want? Do you want to be in a show?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they said, "I said when?" They said Friday. I was like, "Ah, three days." Ah, you know. <laughs> and then, oh, what, 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 what I'll never forget was I did my first show, and um, I was doing all right. And uh, Lewis was doing something called uh, oh, the setup was he was a writer. And he was sitting there pretending he had a typewriter and writing a novel. So he would write this story and we would enact bits of it. So it was a sort of semi-directed bit of short form. And then at one point he, he, he set something up and then he said, and it was at that point that a passenger, a British passenger on the plane stepped forward and said, and I was like, ah, oh, shit, this is my moment. And I stepped out said something, got a massive laugh, and, and that was it. That was when the addiction, you know, it was like I tipped over the edge into fully addicted. Um, yeah, so I did every single show that I could do. So every Friday, Saturday, I did the shows every, yeah, two shows a week for two years. And how did you feel going into that first show? So for someone who's admittedly a shy introvert, mm. that must be terrifying, was it, before that show? 
No, I would say I was more excited than terrified. It was really? sort of like a little, yeah, it was a dream come true type scenario. Sort of like, wow, I've, I've made it, I've arrived. And very supportive, comp- you know, I, I knew all the people. They were very supportive. Lewis was very supportive. So it was, it was yeah, it was home turf, home turf kind of feeling. So I was, I was, I was at ease. And then afterwards, you know, you know that feeling you get after a show that works when you've got a laugh from an audience. It's just you feel kind of kind of invincible for a while. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. an improv show because you just oh, yeah. off the top of your head. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it sounds uh, like Louis Anthony Russo, your teacher, it sounded like yeah. he had forged this wonderful environment. It sounded like a very safe, supportive kind of space. Yes. Um, he, he was a very compassionate man. Um, and he... I'll never forget, he said something once. He said, um, I'm a gay, fat, bald Italian. And um, the only person that can make fun of that is me. And that stayed with me. Um, the idea that you never marginalized someone. You never made fun of someone as a human being. That you could interact with their character in ways that were outrageous disgusting or offensive but you would never disrespect the human being so from a very early time in improv i was supported in separating the character from the person and i feel that's a vital element in improvisation i totally agree i totally yeah. agree uh, what was the arizona improv scene like at that time was it a big scene or was the start mm. the only joint in town we were it as far as I knew. Um, that's a good question. No, I think we were. I think we were it. Wow. So yeah, your, your audiences. You were getting maybe people who had seen it before and were obviously yeah. fans that were coming back, and other people they had no idea what they were walking into. So it wasn't like an improv literate community essentially. So that must have been quite challenging at times, was it? Well, yes and no, because again. It's really interesting, Sean, talking to you because I've reflected often on the things I learned from from Lewis, but it always reinforces it. What he was a master of was um, putting the audience at ease, setting their expectations. Um, he, He would just set it up. He would just set it up so well that even if someone had never seen it before or if they'd been to the show 50 times, it was, you know, it was they were ready to go. You know what? That's so important, and it's such an undervalued mm. skill in improv. Mm. I, I find mm. that I can any show I've ever done that's gone well. The host has always been on point with the audience and really, you know, like you said, manage their expectations and set a nice tone, and then it's just gone from strength to strength from there. But if you get somebody who just comes out and doesn't no. really clarify anything, it's just oh. such an uphill struggle for the rest of the night. Well, for me, Steve Rowe is a master of this. You know, he just. He's like having ridiculous amounts of fun and the audience is, is just sort of there with him very, very quickly. Yeah. I, I That's crucial. Yeah, he, did yeah. that, he did that when I did my first ever show uh, after I yeah. had a course with him and you just knew immediately that it was just a safe space and that the audience yeah, were there to yeah, have yeah. fun. You know what I mean? So yeah, I yeah. couldn't agree more with that. And yeah. uh, was there any other teachers that stood out to you or was it mainly Lewis that had the big impact on you? Well, he was it in the early days. Um he was the only teacher I had, and uh, yeah, I got 
bored after a couple of years. Um, you know, everything's got everything's a two-edged sword, and he was very inclusive to the point where he would he would just he would <laughs> basically if someone's life wasn't working well, he would invite them to be in a show. Um, he wouldn't invite them based on their ability to perform. <laughs> he would invite. Yeah, so so we there were, and we had some fantastic performers, and I'm still in touch with some of them to this day. Um, but we would also have people that really should have been in the audience rather than on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have been much better audience members than performers. Um, so it got frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So it were you know the uh, Dunning Kruger effect was at work, and um, it. <laughs> It got very frustrating for those of us that really got into it and really wanted to take it further. So um, after a couple of years, I stopped. And then I did some stand-up uh, on a sort of amateur basis. But I found that was just... Um, the highs were even higher, but the, 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 the build-up to a stand-up gig was just so terrifying and, and just miserable that it wasn't worth the payoff and then I found myself doing um, playback theatre yeah that's the one you have done your homework um, <laughs> so that that was that was amazing because uh, Phoenix Arizona uh, whew, one of the whitest cities on the planet and um, I'm in a I'm in an improv improvised theatre company and the um, the setup for playback is you have a director who interacts with the audience and gets the audience to tell stories. You have a musician uh, who uh, play obviously plays music, and then you have the performers. And we had the most diverse company that I've ever been a part of. Wow. So we yeah. So our director was was a um, was this uh, very very uh, uh, gregarious Jewish topless dancer who was studying Native American shamanism. Of course. <laughs> uh, we had we had a we had a fantastically gay Mexican guy who who knew if, if there was a topic that you could mention, he would know a Broadway show tune that had that as an ingredient. And just he, he was Lorenzo. He 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 was incredible. Um, we had this um, black guy who was studying um, some form of African um, magic, for want of a better word, but he was able to tell a story without a single word, just through embodiment and movement. Um, uh, we had uh, this uh, Samoan woman who uh, who was uh, who was who was phenomenal. Uh, we had myself, uh, and then we had a, another another improviser from the from the um, from his, from the uh, oxymorons made their way into it. And our musician was a, a, a crack addict that we met when we performed at a homeless shelter, who uh, who said, "Can I play the drums?" And we're like, "Yeah, yeah, some drums sitting there." And he played the drums. And we're like, "Are oh, you really good? Do you want to join the company?" So it was um, it was a diverse company to say the least, particularly in that environment. And we I performed. Go to see a show with this cast, regardless. <laughs> yeah, just, so it's like whatever you'd, they do, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, you'd come and watch us. You come and watch us play Monopoly, really, wouldn't you? You'd be like, yeah, <laughs> just just do it. 
Uh, and go on. No, I was just going to say, I'm excited to hear about this because you're the second person I've interviewed that's done playback theatre. I met another lady uh, not too long ago from uh, India and she was part of mm. the playback theatre there and she described her format was very similar to yours. Mm. Yeah, no, well, playback is, yeah, it's a recognised format. I'm sure it's morphed over the years. And um, oh, remarkably profound experiences around playback because we would perform for a huge variety of audiences. So we'd go into prisons, homeless shelters, corporations, uh, you name it. We would, we, would, we would have these really, really a huge range of, of audiences. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you and find the, that the, the tone of the show was different depending on like, if you were in a prison or if you are in a homeless shelter? Oh, my goodness, yeah. The, um, what I found that really fascinated me, so we would, we would perform for... Uh, uh, youngsters who were in prison because of drug crimes and um, they almost universally from my perspective this is purely subjective had no capacity for abstract thought which I would have not predicted really how do you mean well for example if if you go to a playback show and you tell a story, you don't see it literally played back you tease out the kind of elements of it so Someone might tell a story about a confrontation with another person. And as a playback, that might become like a high noon style Western, you know, showdown you know, yeah, showdown. But these guys would tell a story of a confrontation. We play it back. Say we played it back as a showdown. And they'd be like, well, no, no, it wasn't a cowboy. The other guy wasn't a cowboy. The guy, you know, the, the, they didn't have a six shooter. They, they would like want the literal story played out, which was really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, the only place I didn't like to go was we performed for incarcerated sex offenders. And, um, I, full environment. To yeah. Well, I felt like a, a puppet that was being manipulated. And I, I said, I don't want to do this anymore because I didn't, really? I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel that it was having any real therapeutic value other than they were learning new and different ways to manipulate. P again, purely my subjective experience. But I mean, whatever you feel is valid, but I mean, was, yeah. it, was it the stories that you were being given were quite toxic or <sighs> was it just the responses you were getting or what made you feel that way? Oh, that's a really good question. I cannot, I cannot, you know, those environments where you sort of can't put your finger on it and mm. kind of that's why you're not comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's just everything, you know, the energy of the place just didn't feel right. Yeah, like I couldn't, it's almost like I couldn't build a solid case. It was all, it was all sort of grey areas. Got you, got you. But it was just a, a feeling of like, hang on something just doesn't feel right here. And of course that is the environment, secrecy, manipulation, um, sowing self doubt in people. So I, I, I didn't like that. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't really I wouldn't fancy <laughs> like that myself. No, no. <laughs> that's, um, that's so interesting though, to, to, to perform to such a, like, you know, there's broad audiences and then there's what mm. we're doing. Like that's an insanely broad range of people to be performing to. Well, the, 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 the Monday nights, it was Monday evenings, we would go through to, to a facility that had three buildings. It was the drug offenders, 
the violent offenders and the sex offenders, and they were all uh, less than eighteen years old. So we would we would have we'd have like a right buffet of criminality on a Monday night, and the vibe was very different in each place. Like, would you say it escalated? Depending on like it would be bad, then it would get worse, and it would get really hostile. No. hostile or was it just it, this feels tense? This feels it was te- it was always tense. Yeah. It was always tense, but there, you know there were magical moments. It's just obviously, you know, in the in the environment they were in, they could not drop their guard too much. So there would be sort of glimmers of humanity, but then there would be a sort of you know they weren't. It would not make sense for them to be open and vulnerable and authentic. So, so it was like a, an invitation to that. But, you know, we got to leave at the end. You know, 8.30, we're going now. Whereas, you know, 8.30 for them was back to yourselves. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, was just, it was more of a glimpse for them rather than an eye-opening experience kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Who, who, who knows? Maybe there's, maybe there's, maybe there's sort of 40-year-old Arizonans right now out there going, yeah, that changed my life. Yeah. You never know. And they're improvising. <laughs> yeah, that's the moment. <laughs> so you did improv for two years at the Star Theatre, then you get in yep. stand up, then you go to a yeah. central theatre, you're doing playback. How long were you doing that for? A few years? Two years. There's a pattern here. I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm a Gen X boomer cusp. I was born in sixty two. So there's that two year they say like uh uh, Gen Xers do things for two years and then they get bored and move on. So I, I, I moved on after two years. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't do any improv then for about four years, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I came back to the UK in 2001. Um, and then forgot all about this stuff until I did an intensive um, personal development training very immersive personal development training. And part of it was um, once you'd had like a night of sleep deprivation, on the second night at about two in the morning, everyone was split into groups and you had to put on a bit of theatre. And there was normally about six groups. Yeah. And someone came up to me and said, you know, we've been doing this for a year now. And every time we do this, there's like five absolutely dire performances and, and, and one, one that's actually really good. And I've worked out that the good one is, is that the common factor is you. Wow. The one that you're in is good. If you ever decide to teach what you know, I will, uh, I'll come and learn from you. What uh, a vote of confidence. That is so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes and yeah, yeah. Yes and no. So I was always, you know, there's the cliche, you know, when the, when, when the, I never know. So I always get this wrong way around. When the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Or I think in this case, when the teacher is ready, the student appears. I think that's what happened there. If so you, uh, if you build it, they will yeah. come. Kind of like. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you come, they'll build it. I think it was the other way around. So <laughs> that's, that's that's amazing. So you were doing a personal development course, and then someone mm. kind of sparked that idea in your head, and then yeah, and then that's what led to the formation of the Maydays. Is that right? Well, yeah, through a through a you know through a process. So I started teaching in Brighton. I charged four pound a head. I paid a pound a person for the room. You know, if if ten people showed up, I ended up with twenty seven pounds in cash, uh, which back in two thousand and three was a lot of money to me. Um, 
<laughs> and then I, I I ended up like some really talented people showed up. So Rebecca McMillan showed up in the very very early days. I can still remember. I can still remember Rebecca McMillan's first three line scene in a class. Really? So yeah, she showed up. So yeah, she said uh, she said, "Oh my God, I've left the gas on." And her stage partner said, that's not a big deal. She said, I work at the crematorium. <laughs> um, and I thought, this I thought this woman has got what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, it's always she does. just stand out to you immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was one. I think she was at my second ever class. Wow. Um, and did, did you teach at all in Arizona, or was this your first mm, endeavour into teaching? No, I forgot. Um in Arizona, uh, Lewis decided that we, we, we should do classes for teenagers. And um, he asked me to teach the teenage class, which was very satisfying. Um, so we, I taught these once a week. I taught the teenagers how to do this. It was quite a small group. I think it was about eight of them. And then we did a show. And the show, the show was amazing, um, obviously, because all their parents and friends were there. But... Um, the, the show was superb and that was that was sort of yeah that was my initiation into teaching improv and taking it to the point of performance and also directing a show you know as in directing a short form show you, you were never tempted to get more into teaching at that point no no it was just something i did really you know it was just it was just a thing i don't know and but then when I was back in Brighton and teaching, it became like, oh, I started to really look forward to Thursdays. And then um, and then I tracked down this, um, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of say, I, I dug up an improv fossil. Uh, there was this guy called Trevor Scales who I saw a poster that he was an improv teacher, you know, and he, he'd been doing improv like way, way back. And I, I tracked him down. And he started coming to classes and bringing in some different exercises, and and then we formed then we formed the company. So there was in the early days there was uh, six performers plus myself. And um, how long were you going before you formed the company? Were we talking like six months, a year? It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that long. It was less than a year. I don't. I don't know exact. You know, I don't know exact dates. No, no. Um, I'm just saying, like even like yeah. roughly. I mean, that's that's quite rapid progression considering. You're going to a yeah. wasn't an improv scene at all, I'm assuming? There was... Oh, God, how do I put this politely? Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had seen an improv show in Brighton. Uh, let's just say that. Let's leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Very beautifully put. I like that. Mm. <laughs> mm. So uh, there was some sort of a scene there. And you said yes. May Days. And, like... How did you feel initiating, right? You know, you essentially were setting up this school. You were setting up this team. You were setting up this mm. company. How did that feel? Was it nerve-wracking? Was it exciting? It was, um, it was exhilarating. It was, um, it was like a, a world of possibilities because there wasn't the, um, the structure wasn't in place. So I had a tremendous amount of freedom back then in terms of, uh, I could run a class and take as many left turns as felt right. So we could fear into playback. We could go into you know something deep and personal. We could we could really 
push the boundaries. And I had been working with a fellow called Prasadam, who's a, a, a German teacher of what he called Zen theatre, which was very much in the moment and really quite edgy and provocative. And I learned a lot from him. And I also, what I got from him was that you can really take people a long way in this sort of work, a, a lot further than is currently seen as uh, acceptable or advisable, shall we say. Wow, that's quite a, that's quite a big statement. So do you mean that like pushing them further outside their boundaries than what most schools would? Is that what you're saying? Yes, way further. So, so in in the early days, you know, I did I did an immersive workshop with this guy. It was thirty days. Um, it all took place. It was residential, and you just lived in this sort of bubble, separate from the world, and and just you know, just there was turnover. People would come and do just a weekend or a week, or some people were there for the whole month. And, and we would just, we just, you know, we, he, he just, his whole thing was just pushing the boundaries. It, it was, it was, it was really intense. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like pretty heady stuff. Yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was, again, it was, it just exhilarating, bewildering, frustrating. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was really a whole range of experiences rolled into one. It sounds like you had a pretty miraculous transformation in like 10 years from someone that was very reclusive, as you said, working in your back garden, as you said, kind of mm -hmm. reclusive kind of state, to, you know, starting an improv, working with playback, te you know, performing in prisons to, you know, convicted mm. criminals, to setting up your own theatre. I mean, what was that journey like for you? I mean, did you feel like, did you take stock of that? Or was it just, you were just so in the moment, you didn't really realise? Um, I was just, I was just doing it. I've got, um... I mean, people that know me, that engage with me, find me very frustrating because I have very little. Of, <laughs> I, 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 there, there are parts of the brain, um, like the executive function part of the brain, that does things like planning and and reflection and structure that I just really am not in touch with very well. So uh, I find it very difficult. I find time very difficult. Uh, the uh, the past tends to fall off a cliff and anything that I have planned, some part of me is squirmy and feeling trapped. So I like to have unstructured time and respond in the moment. So when I was in this process, I didn't really reflect on it. I certainly didn't plan or organize. Uh, I just I just did whatever came along and then followed what came next and somehow the mayday sort of formed itself around me and and because because you know they're a smart talented bunch of people it didn't take them long to say you know look you know uh you're you're, you're absolutely rubbish at this um we 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 we're a cooperative now would you like to join and so i i went from sort of haphazardly trying to run this enterprise to just being a part of it which was which was a really good thing otherwise it would have just probably collapsed and would you say that's what contributed to the longevity you guys have had because you've been going for nearly 20 years now mm, i feel 
personally that what has contributed to the longevity is that sense of being a cooperative. Um, I also feel that the early foundation in terms of the deeper work, what I call inner work, because what we would do is whenever something came up, we would address it sort of theatrically. So we would use playbackish type techniques to play out the dynamics within the company and things that we were um, working with. So, for example, you, yeah, I was just about to say, could you give an example? <laughs> yeah, so so I I'm like, you know, why why do people have this absurd uh, resistance to, to 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 wealth and success? Why why are so many artists brilliant but poor? So what I did one Thursday. Uh, we, we were having our rehearsal every Thursday. Um, I showed up. Everyone's there. I didn't say a word. Um, I took a £50 note out of my pocket. I showed it to people so they could see it was genuine. And then I put it into an envelope. I think I put it into an envelope. I can never remember detail. Um, but in either in an envelope or not in an envelope, I can't remember exactly. Someone, Katie Shoot probably remembers. Um, I then went to the window, and we were on the second floor, and just threw it out the window. And um, there was this moment of, like, ten people sort of like, oh, there's a £50 note out there. I hadn't said a word. And they all just, like, some of them ran and got the money, you know, said, look for the money, da 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 da, da. Um, one fellow, he got the, he, it was on top of the roof of a car. So he got the 50 pound note, came back. Everyone came back in the room. Not everyone left, uh, came back in the room and I just held out my hand and he handed it back to me. Really? And then everyone's, <laughs> yeah. And then everyone sat down and I just went, what did everyone just experience? And the range was. From, I didn't get up because I knew I wouldn't be the one that got the money, so I didn't bother. Um, I thought you were an arrogant prick showing off by throwing <laughs> money out the window. Um, I was determined to get the money. Um, da, da, da. And the guy that handed the money back, I said, why did you give it back to me? There were no rules. You found it. I threw it away. You found it. Why did you give it back to me? And he was, didn't, didn't have an answer. Things like that. Um, that's quite fascinating. Yeah. Just mm, like a social mm. kind of experiment. That is really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> but that's such an inventive way of, you know, creating cohesion within, you know, a group dynamic. Like, where, where did you get the idea to kind of approach it that way? I just came. I just, just had the idea because we, yeah, I just, I don't know where these things came from. They just, it just it was just like, let's just, just do it that way. Because for me, the ethos of improv it took me a long time to boil it down. For me, it's permission. It's permission to be yourself in the moment, which we, after, you know, from a very early age, we, we no longer have that. We don't have that. We, we become socially conditioned. So if you and I are going on stage, I want you to be you in the moment. And if I'm teaching a class, I want someone to be them in the moment. If that means they're bewildered, hostile, confused, hateful, joyful, whatever, I want them to have permission to be themselves in the moment because that's when I feel that creativity flows. And we used to have this off stage as well. So in that moment with the 50 pound note, 
I didn't say a word. Everyone had permission to be exactly how they were and respond exactly how they responded to that experience. There was no judgment. There was no, you shouldn't have given the money back or you should have gone and tried to get it. It was just, I feel like as improvisers, if we're aware of the different dynamics and characters within us, we can embrace them and play them out and be at peace with them and that energy can fuel our performances. If we separate off parts of ourselves as being somehow distasteful or, or, or unacceptable, then we, we become... We become what I call improv vending machines, people that people that produce scenes or bits, and you know that's it. Yeah, like if you want to get to yeah. the next level in terms of performing, you really need to access all the elements of yourself. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and I I don't think that takes long. I feel like um, I feel like, well, I I know I don't just feel like. You can get to that really, really quickly if that's your mindset and that's your approach. Yeah, I, I think it depends yeah. on what you like as a person because you know, some people are a lot more guarded than others and that kind of thing. So it's, it's more of a battle for some people, I think. But I do agree with you. Um, yeah. Where did the name come from, by the way? Where did the name <laughs> come from? Oh, God, origin myths. Um, <laughs> so we... <laughs> Typical bloody influencers. We said, oh, look, Brighton Festival, let's let's be in the festival. We've got enough people to do a show, you know. Um, we've got enough people we know that would buy tickets. We'll be in the fringe. So we, we booked in to do a couple of shows. And then I got a phone call from Rebecca McMillan. She said, Johnny, we need, um, we need, we need a title for the company. I'm like, oh, okay, when? And she's like, like now. They're printing the brochure. We've got like 30 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, like I wasn't even handling that level of admin at that point. I mean, we're really, uh, really early on. I'd, I'd abdicated responsibility for detail. And I'm like, shit, shit, shit. What do we do? What do we do? And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, we've got to come up with a name. Um, oh, I don't know. And we, the vibe we had was, in my mind, was sort of Victorian, Edwardian music hall, Amdrammy, um, you know, cheesy sort of thing. And I just said, I don't know, emergency. I don't know. We've got, to, oh, God. And I'm, yeah, admin under stress doesn't do me any good. So I started to freak out. And I went, oh, no, help. Mayday, Mayday. And we said, the Mayday players. So we were originally the Mayday players. Wow, that was it evolved uh, into the Maydays. I love that. It evolved into the Maydays because for about a year, Katie Shoot was going, I hate the name. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Can it, and finally, the Maydays, yeah, sure. You know, so that's, that's where the Maydays came from. <laughs> it was changed to the Maydays as a compromise for Katie. <laughs> yeah, of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so embarrassed saying to people that I'm in this company. I'm proud of the company, but the name stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And yeah. uh, you've performed all through the UK and you've done quite a few European shows as well, is that right? Mm. Yeah, they do most of the European shows. I've I've only done I think it was Romania. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that yeah, they um happily never after the show that Joe Samuel developed, uh, you know, just really became a thing for us and that, that got taken around Europe and to to great acclaim, which was fabulous. Brilliant. How did you find taking the Maydays to that next level? You know, going from, you know, a group of people that really like improv to trying to get bigger and bigger shows, you know, trying to have a bit more reach. 
was that a struggle or did that come organically for you guys? Um, well, they did it. I didn't do it. So <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't begin to tell you. <laughs> I'm loving your honesty, John. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, come on. Um, yeah. Well, no, no, sure. Let me tell you. Firm leadership is what's required. <laughs> you need a, yeah, I'm Will. You need a strategy. You need a spreadsheet. You need goals. I listen to Tony Robbins every morning. You know, I do my breathing exercises. Uh, no, it just happened. Which I love, and it makes so much sense, <laughs> that you your approach to forming an improv team was exactly the same as to doing an improv scene. You were just in the moment and reacting to everything, and it all just worked out perfectly well. It's incredible. Exactly, yeah. Just yeah, miraculous. I, I, to me, it's quite yeah, it's quite miraculous. Uh, you know, I've always believed in the old Sufi adage, "As above, so below," and, and that um, for me, an improv company should yeah be like a scene. It should have the same. You know, the ethos should go through it. Oh. I love that. I love that, and that yeah. makes so much sense. That makes so so much mm. sense. And you, you've had a lot of guest teachers from the US improv scene. Have there been any in particular that kind of you know had a, a deep effect on you as an improviser or inspired you? Um, well, well, we did something pretty cagey uh, about <laughs> about five years ago. So we basically went, well, we can go to Chicago and all pay money to go through the sausage machine again, you know, and, and do do intensives and that, or. Or we can create our own intensive. So what we did was all the Maydays went to Chicago, um, found a place to stay, found a venue, and then we just booked all of our own teachers. So we just we just basically went, who who would you imagine working with? You know, what would be your dream group of teachers? So we basically just cherry picked who we wanted. That um, is fantastic. I love. That. Yeah. Yeah, so we had like TJ Jagodowski, we had Bill Arnett, we had uh, we had a, a bunch of the guys from Revolver, we had Jorin, we had Farrell, we had um, yeah, I'm probably forgetting some uh, Rich and Rebecca S Adel, we had Rich and Rebecca Sone, we had um, Mick Napier. It's just like you know the yeah the, the 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 yeah we just we did it. It was a, yeah it was a DIY intensive and. Creme de la creme, the creme, yeah, 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 and and intensively, it was just us working with them, so it was a real, it was a real thing, and also we, um, you know, because we've got connections there, we got to perform like at IO and at Annoyance, so we got to perform with in shows out there, which is, I mean, you know, there are no constipated comedians, but when you when you're going on stage at IO on a Saturday night before a sold out crowd. Uh, you know, with someone like World News, or you know, when you're in the Armando, or or something like that, it it, it is utterly terrifying, and we were all pretty well out of our depth, you know, which is where you got to be sometime. I think I think as improvisers, we need to get out of our depths, not all the time, but we need to we need to have that experience because ideally, that's where we take the people we work with. That's uh, how you develop as well, because if you're just going yeah, through emotions, you never really yeah. challenge yourself and you know get better. Improv vending machine you become. Um, so teachers like massive influences for me, Susan Messing, uh, uh, massive massive influence. Um, paradoxically, Bill Arnett. Uh, just Why is that paradoxically. 
<laughs> well, can you think of any two improvisers that are more different? I mean, Susan is so visceral, heartful, you know, maniacal on stage. And Bill is so cerebral and measured yeah. and gentle. It's end of the scale difference. Um, That's very true. I never actually thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when we did our little, our own intensive, we, we, I mean, we loved them all. I think the one teacher that really stayed with us just because of his absurd level of enthusiasm and obviously his depth of knowledge and experience is uh, Jorin Gog, I always get his name wrong, Gargalo, oh, Gargalo. hysterical. I saw him before. Oh, my God. He's one of oh my the God. funny people I've ever seen. On oh, my show. God. Oh, I mean, we, um, when I said to them, because I used to go to Chicago, like, a lot, a lot, and I used to stay there for, like, you know, a month or two, and um, I said to the Maydays, you've got to come and see Revolver, and there was a time where I looked along the row, and the entire company was in tears of laughter at watching Revolver. It was just, it was just phenomenal, and... I used to go and see 3033. Oh, my God. I used to actually have, like, I was genuinely worried one time that I was going to hurt myself because I was laughing so hard. And, uh, and, and, and I wanted to press pause because I, I had to catch my breath because they would hit these patterns and just relentlessly and flawlessly, and it was just painful. Yeah, but I, I, I found Chicago, like... It was kind of like going to see a premiership football game for the first time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just the level mm. of talent there and the skill was just incredible. It blew my mind yeah. when I first went there. And, you know, uh. when you're seeing like TJ and Dave, Revolver, World News, 3033, Improvised yeah. Shakespeare, um, the kind yeah. of social club, you know, there's just, it was just endless. So it was really, it got to the point where it was kind of hard to pick what to go and see because there's just this smorgasbord uh. of improv talent. We, um, we had Jason Chin, who was the guy who started World News, come over and teach us. And uh, he was fabulous. And he said to us, if you, if you guys ever come to Chicago, we'll, I'll put you in the show. You can be in World News. And I, I, went, I went home and bought a ticket, literally that night. I just bought a ticket. And a bunch of us went over. And we were in World News back at the old I.O. place. It was just in a firefight it's so quick it, it, and so much of the humor you know nothing about you know local politicians or I mean, you just completely completely adrift but they were so what was amazing and 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 they invited me to come but they said next time you're in town just show up and you'll be in the show again as many times as you want so i was like well i'm not going to miss that and what i noticed was if i held back for an instant i was lost but if I just dived, if I just pushed forward with nothing, they would catch me and it would work. And that was that was transformational. Wow. That's that sounds like yeah. a dream experience on stage, you know, the, the dream. level of improvisers, you know. Part dream, part nightmare. It's is no, I'm serious. I'm serious. It's ter it's terrifying. There's nowhere to hide. And I mean, and they are, you know, they are phenomenal. They are they are unreal. Like I when I went to see yeah. them, like some of the articles they were reading out were so dark, and they were just yeah. finding humor no problem. It was just no problem. Yeah, yeah. So well, and, well, and imagine standing there on stage in that line, and they're reading an article, and you're going, "I have no idea what 
any of these references are. I don't know what Chick-fil-A is. I don't know about House Bill 207. And I don't know who Alderman so-and-so is. Oh, and the scene's begun. Great. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be a tree for the next 15 to 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love that. I love that. Well, do you know what? Like, I think when you come, when you survive those experiences, you know, you, you, I think a lot of improv seems easy after experiences like that, you know? Exactly. I really feel that we need to stretch as improvisers. We need to, we need to not, not in a brutal self-harming way, but in ways that invigorate. Yeah, because yeah. like you say, like I remember uh, I did a musical improv class and I, I, I didn't like it at all. It was just the most unnatural thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'd never do it again, but I was glad I did it because it reminded me of what it was like to do improv for the very first time because that's what it felt like. Yeah. I felt like I had none of none of the skills I had acquired were of any use to me in that moment. And I was terrified and I felt like a complete idiot. And I was glad I did it because it, it, it makes your mind work in a different way and I think, you know, it, it jazzes you up a bit. It gives you that adrenaline you need if you start resting on your laurels. Do you know what I mean? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, when I did the Annoyance Intensive, um, I was talking to Rich Stone because I, I, I really like his dark humour. And we were chatting and he said, what are you doing on Tuesday? I said, oh, I might come and see your crappy little show at the Annoyance, you know. I said, nothing else on. And he said, yeah, yeah, do that. He said do you want to be in it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. <laughs> I played it cool. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. There's nothing else. And I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? So, and I show up, right. And I'm in the, I, I go there and there's like dressing room at annoyance and that. And then there's like, Noah shows up. Noah Gregoropoulos. I get his wow. name on all the time. And I'm like, Noah, oh my God. I wonder what Noah's doing here. And then TJ Jagodelsky shows up. And I'm like, oh wow, wow. I wonder, wonder what these guys are doing here. And then they're like, Rich walks in with Rebecca and goes, okay, everyone, um, uh, let's get ready for the show. And I'm Holy like, oh. Shit. I'm like, no, no, no. Sorry, this is, there's, a, there's a hidden camera somewhere. <laughs> What was it like playing with TJ and Noah? Uh, just, uh, I mean, Noah's incredibly difficult. Um, really? He's just, oh, he's just, he's so smart. He's so smart. And there's some part of me, like, you know, the poke the bear impulse, you know, the impulse to just, you know, I, I, I just, I just was compelled to sort of just push him a little bit intellectually. Massive error. I mean, it's just, I just got, <laughs> I just got Steamrollered! It was amazing. Uh, yeah, he's 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 phenomenal. He's absolutely phenomenal. And what about TJ? Uh, that was that was just you know a, a, an experience of just floundering. Basically, I just floundered and sort of hung on for dear life, which was which was nice. And we did it a few times. And after a while, I sort of was like, oh, okay, wait, I can kind of I'm kind of doing okay here, you know. But the first time, it was just yeah, it was just like, oh my god. Do you know what? <laughs> I've asked a lot of people on this podcast who would they love to improvise with, and you've pretty much played with most of them <laughs> in your times in Chicago. Yeah. That's that's a yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and then there was um, yeah. I mean, I mean, just to complete it, sort of thing was uh, was uh, I got to do messing with a friend with Susan Messing. Oh my gosh! 
So yeah, you've um, played with everybody you could possibly want to play with. <laughs> yeah, and the thing the thing with Susan is, I mean, God, yeah, I mean, I love her to death, and uh, we did a we 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 did a Holocaust based scene that even 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 she was uncomfortable with. So that was. Jeez, uh, <laughs> <that's a lot. laughs> I, yeah, I, I've seen messing with a friend a few times, and I was lucky enough to see the tenth anniversary, and she did it with. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was one of the most mind yeah. shows I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can well believe you and her explored some weird territories because, like, at one point with their one, um, what was it? She, she was playing a child sitting on a plane, just talking mm. to this guy sitting next to her. It was, like, saying about how horrible her life was and all this, but, like, as a cute kid, just a really matter-of-fact. Yeah, thing. yeah. And then... TJ and her moved forward and TJ acted like he was like a couple in front listening in on the conversation went oh my god are you hearing this and she goes maybe we should take her and give her a better life and he goes are we doing this because I got the rag and the ether right here (laughs) (laughs) and it just went crazier and crazier from there yeah 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 they're so gifted that how crazy the scenario was the characters were so grounded that you just couldn't help but be engaged do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like um, I, that's what one thing I got from Lewis was don't go too far, too fast. Like, get them on board, then hit the gas, and that's the thing. If you get people on board, you can really, you know, you can really step on the accelerator. If they're not on board, they just fly out the back. So true. That's a really, mm. really good point. Think like as well. Mm. If you start crazy, where do you go from? You know, you oh, I'm so from there. I'm so bored with crap. That's why I would love like watching Bill Arnett with just the most, you know, you know, just the most utterly grounded scenes, just, just perfectly grounded, like utterly believable, credible and, and just yeah. intricate. Oh man. And he comes out of nowhere as well. Like he, Oh yeah. He, you won't even notice him come into the scene and then no. something that takes the house down. Do you know what uh, I mean? Like it's uh, incredible to watch. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> 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 he did a great one when I saw them and he was like uh, so, uh, I'm Joe this is my brother Jerry this is our bar so welcome to Joe's <laughs> yeah <laughs> just erupted and it was just he said it yeah. so fast and so naturally like unless you yeah. were paying attention you would totally miss it do you know what I mean but yeah. yeah yeah so funny and, like, yeah. just brilliant. and then if anyone messes up he is on them like and he called himself a skin doctor and Mm. he was all over him (laughs) he was like what's the name of your discipline (laughs) and the the guy was clearly panicking and he just was was relentless with it it was amazing to watch it was so good well one of my you know my personal favourite improv dynamics I learned from Bill is pinch ouch you know just 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 find find a point of pain and just pinch it again and again, and then rest, and then pinch it again, and and that, you know. Once I have a formula, Sean. My formula is, if I work with a with an improv teacher, it's going to take me. Or actually, let's 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 broaden this out. The Maydays have this understanding that if we work with a great teacher, it takes two years to embody what we learned from them. It it took us two years to embody what we learned from Bill Arnett. To, to have it to where it becomes an instinct and not a technique. So there's the technique of pinch ouch, which is, you know, 
poke someone, they react, poke someone, they react. And then there's the instinct of it, of just like, oh, that person just went, ouch. Um, I wasn't trying, I wasn't pinching them, but they went, ouch. But now I know where, the, where to pinch them. That's brilliant. I, I get what but, you mean, though, because it's different being aware that you can do it but having the instinct to do it in the scene and pick things up like that is another thing entirely. Well, and that's that's what my my sort of gold nugget from my time at Annoyance was, was the experience of like an internal dynamic of myself as an improviser observing my character discover something in a scene. And that was another thing that took a while to embody. And it was, it was an, it, it, and it comes from experience. It comes from a, a pivotal moment where it's like, it's almost like riding a bike for the first time where you go, oh, wait a second. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm observe, I, I'm witnessing this character discovering this. Does that make sense? It may be, I might have got a bit, a bit esoteric on you. <laughs> No, 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 I get what you mean, because like for you, you're going to have a point of view for that character. And then yeah. the character might have something that is quite earth-shattering to them, maybe. But to you, as, as John, it's not really going to affect you much. But it's affecting that character, and you're letting it affect that character, but you're just kind of there for the ride as John. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. And, and it's, like, it's almost like you're hovering above it. And, 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 and as an improviser, as it, my improv software isn't doing the scene if that makes sense like you know we can do a scene using our improv software because we know technique or we can let the character live and breathe the scene you know susan messing says if i can smell it touch it lick it fuck it then i know it's good you know it's like to to really be in it viscerally in it and viscerally doesn't mean doesn't mean dirty you know uh uh uh, you know, like embodied necessarily. It can be quite cerebral, but you're inhabiting, your character is inhabiting the scene. Yeah. And it, yeah. as well, when you're really, really, like most of the shows I could walk away from saying that was probably one of my best shows. I remember mm. very little of what I said or did in it because you're just so yeah. present and you're in the moment and you're not yeah. thinking, okay, right, now I'm going to I'm gonna yes. do, do this or I'm going to react this way to the, you know, you're just doing yeah. it and you're lost in it and yeah. Same partner's the same, and that's where that magic comes from. Yeah, it's like you're not. There isn't a part of you that's going, "Oh, what's my next move?" Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you are. Yeah, you are just. You're, you're in it. Yeah, and yeah. That, like to watch that is just amazing. Like, like I, I saw Susan Messing do a show once, and <laughs> I can't remember what she said now, but it, 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 I thought it was absolutely hysterical, and I thought it was just this bizarre choice, and I happened to get talking to her after outside uh, IO mm. and I was kind of laughing and then I brought up that scene and she didn't remember any of it no no <laughs> it's just like that is a perfect example right there do you know what I mean yeah 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 just it's just yeah it's in the moment it's purely in the moment yeah and it, it is it is just wonderful to watch when you see that you know it's just it's just a different level you know but mm. um, at how, at what do you focus on when you're teaching classes John do you have set things that you have as goals <laughs> to teach <laughs> before I even asked this I thought no he's going to say no. he, he just reacts to whatever's happening in the class but I thought I'd ask it anyway just in case <laughs> so, so I'll, tell, I'll, tell, 
I'll tell you my technique, Sean. If you want to call, if you want... Let me get through the question. No, nah, just sniggering. <laughs> Snigger of disdain. <laughs> my, my technique when I teach is I look at each person and I seal up the exit. Okay, could you please explain that a little bit for us? So, we have our habitual self with its patterns, and we have our defense mechanisms and, and all that stuff, and it's all great, and it, it means we can function in the world and we're not incarcerated. And then we have something inside of us that's indefinable, magical, creative, wonderful, dark, whatever. It's something, it's something different from our everyday. What I like to do is basically stop the habitual going to the places where it goes because that then leaves energy available to the the more creative masterful unexpected unpredictable essential self um george gurdjieff divided it into essence and personality our essence is what we're born with our personality is what we acquire in order to survive on this planet like and what that. i yeah what i like to do he's my biggest influence george gurdjieff um <laughs> okay you've got me on a tangent now but i'll do this george G george gurdjieff said and he said man because it was back in the 40s he said when a man takes a long hard look at himself uh, in the cold light of day he realizes that he has built a shit house. he has two choices number one he can tear the shithouse down and start again and build something authentic or he can gold plate the shithouse. Most people choose the latter. So when I teach someone, I basically block all the exits to their shithouse. So there is the opportunity to create some cracks in the shithouse which means that something new, but, but it's not new, it's essential, it's, it's closer to who they really are before they were programmed to become compliant, that, 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 that something essential can emerge. And in correlation with that, uh, I give permission for that part of them to be completely accepted and held and celebrated, no matter what they come out with. So if they come out with something that's contrived, it receives no energy. Um, I may even be brutal if I know someone quite well. I mean, so when I teach a class, if I teach a class, I, I might start by saying, you may notice me shouting at some people and being horrible to them. Um, it's because I know them and I know what they're capable of. If you're new, if you're working with me for the first time, you won't get shouted at, even if you want me to, just so you know. So you put people at ease. And it's that, it's that combination of, of um, removing energy from the habitual and, and giving energy, focusing energy on the more authentic. That's my, that's my method. That's my, the overarching thing I do when I teach. The ways that I do that vary in the moment. Wow, I love that. I've never heard mm. it approached that way before. That that I, I'd love to do a class with you, John. It sounds fascinating. It sounds like no, I don't teach that. I don't teach that much. <laughs> ah, curses! Uh, it's wonderful thing was for you, and then you're just like, Fuck, yeah, do it anymore. So yeah, <laughs> no one can benefit when, from it. <laughs> when's the next one? There isn't. <laughs>
hey, Sean, here's what you could have won. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, you bastard. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll probably get into doing a bit. I, I only really teach habitually at the May Days retreat or intensive. Um, you know, I occasionally teach time and place, just if it fits or if it feels right. But I don't, it's not something I chase. And it's also, you know, I make, I make my living working in the corporate world and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, there's a zero at the end of it in terms of fee level. So it's just like, and, and how much, you know, I'm almost 60. How much energy have I got left? That reminds you quite a lot, John. You're not like, nice yeah. Fair. yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Fair play. <laughs> like, yeah, Martin no, like a sitcom, and he's seventy-three. You know, <laughs> true, true. No, we'll we'll get to do it, Sean. I don't know where. I, I doubt. I doubt that I'll 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 be up in Donegal, but uh, you never know. Ah, uh, well, I'll be back <laughs> in London uh, at some point, so I uh, hope. Oh, we'll, okay. We'll cross then, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be fun. I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. How do you prepare for shows? Did you have a method for show again? Again, I again. Well, no, no. You know, you bring, you bring, you bring back, you bring up something fundamental. When I did playback, uh, the person running the company was she. She was fabulous, and she was very nervous. And we would do ninety-minute warm-ups until I rebelled and said, "I'm not doing this anymore." Um, and we stopped doing these ludicrously long warm-ups. My take is, if you're an improviser, like, like if you drive a car, right, yeah. you get in your... Do you drive? Yeah. Okay. You get in your car. I don't think you put your seatbelt on, take it off again, put it on again, move the steering wheel around, you know, turn the headlights on, turn them off again, press the brake. But you just freaking drive, don't you? Because you're a driver. If you're an improviser, just improvise. It's what you do. It's who you are. See this, and again, this comes down to your essence. If you are an improviser, if you fundamentally are an improviser, this is purely my perspective, and and I, you know, most most of the Maydays disagree with me heartily on this. I don't warm up. I can't be asked. You know, what? I get that. I like, mm. I, do, I do two prov with my brother, and he mm. hates warming up. And I have to warm up for at least fifteen minutes just to yeah get, get myself kind of more energized and you know get rid of whatever's been going on that day yeah get myself into that gear because yeah because I, like I, I I do think there's a happy medium I, I understand there's some people that don't want to warm up and I get some people that are excessive with it and want to do it for yeah ridiculous amounts of time but I do think there's a difference between when you see a team that's got themselves focused and go on and attack it at the stage. And you see a team that's just going on and they're very casually. Energy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's there's kind of a middle ground there. But I mean, to each their own, like I say, I mean, if you can go on without warming up at all and you know, attack the stage and perform, there's there's no harm in that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's my take. And then, and all the you know, whenever I did stuff in Chicago, no one ever warmed up. They just wandered on stage. <laughs> well there you go. I mean, if yeah. that level, there's something to I it. mean I mean, seriously, can you imagine uh, World News doing zip zap boing for twenty minutes? It's not, it's not likely, is it? <coughs> give me a break. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to up and coming improvisers, John? So anyone who's starting out, um, do something else um, with your time. Don't. <laughs> oh, don't! I think even don't do improv the way. You said no, no, no. <laughs> just, just don't be that person that that's all you talk about. You know, just, just. Um, 
it's just improv. It's just making up funny stuff on the stage. I, I understand that it, it feels amazing and it means a lot to some people. Um, but, like, try and have a balanced life, you know, do something else. Go leave the house now and then. Go go fishing. I go fishing a lot. Uh, walk in nature. Um, it, nothing wrong with it. And also, if you're coming up on him, okay, okay, the one top bit of advice I would have for for an improv, for someone who's new to improv, is understand that the voice in your head, the part that tells you that you're not as good an improviser or that you're crap or whatever, whatever it tells you continually, that is not the voice of God. That is not who you really are. It is just a voice in your head. It is a survival mechanism. When you're on your deathbed and you come up with your famous last words, the voice in your head is going to go, that wasn't very profound. So if you're an improviser and you want to enjoy it more, which otherwise why would you bother, just examine the relationship with the voice in your head. Don't try and turn it off or make it stop, but just recognize it for what it is. It's, it's a piece of software that was put in place so you didn't get killed or kill people or end up in prison it will tell you all kinds of things which aren't true because it's trying to keep you safe. Um, it will also restrict your life. And this is the thing. People come to improv and they go, wow, improv, freedom, laughs. Wow, 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 wow. And then they go, oh, I better get good at this. Oh, I'm not as good as this person. I better take another class. Oh, God, I can't do game of the scene. I can't sing. And that inner critic will squeeze all the joy out of something that is potentially enriching that is so so true and i think mm. i think most people mm. that I, i've come across can definitely relate to that so that's so, so mm. well said john yeah if you if you yeah if you're an improviser don't try and be a better improviser <laughs> true though that's that's the crazy yeah. thing it's like susan yeah. messing says if you're not having fun you're the asshole you're the asshole i totally agree couldn't agree more John, what's your worst improv show experience and what did you learn from it? Oh, my God. Um, my worst improv show experience was um, Annoyance Theatre, uh, TNT, which was the show that I got invited to and then I sort of would show up and, and, and get in and do it now and then. Um, I showed up. Noah was in it. There were several people who were in it for the first time that I'd never met before. And we just, it was, there was one guy that I knew and it was just utterly ghastly and painful. And it was, you know, it was at annoyance and it was just awful. And after that show, they decided, Mick Napier decided to terminate that show forthwith. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I personally killed a long running <laughs> Chicago show by being shit. And there's no other way around it. I was awful. We were all awful. And what was it, like a long-form show? Was it like a montage? It was a long-form show, yeah. And I can... You know the shows that are great that you can't remember anything of? I remember every second. <laughs> God, really? No, not every second, but I remember the really ghastly bits. Um, wow. So it's just like you got nothing from the audience. It was just like utter silence the whole way through? Yeah, it was just... It was terrible. Wow. People walked out. You know, it was... It was... Yeah, it was bad. And did you take anything from that experience? No, I just was like, oh, you know, like, that happened. I can't go back in time. Uh, I don't think there's anything else I could have done. 
sometimes the chemistry, the vibe, everything is just not in place. Yeah. Um, it just, it just, yeah, we just bombed. It just, we're not just bombed, but we, 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 we destroyed a long running show. Sometimes David Shore said that one time that he said you know sometimes there's just something in the air. He said he was in his sketch yeah, and he yeah. said that they they performed it the same way, same script every night. And just one night, he always cleaned the clock when he finished, and there was no, no laughs the whole way through. So at the end, he yeah. finished six minutes early because they, there was no laughter pause. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, we, we couldn't work out what went wrong. It was just something in the air that night. Just it didn't work, and that that sometimes it's just that. Do you know what I mean? It could be yeah, yeah. Every was shit that night, but otherwise it could be it was just a weird energy oh. in the room. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm remembering now that TJ was in that show and he couldn't save it. That's how bad it was. See, uh, if you've got Noah and TJ in a show, <laughs> and you fuck up under those circumstances, man, you 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 are like, you know, that's a gold medal fuck up. That's like. That's like not just that, but Mick Napier saying like like two days later saying that's that show is never happening again. We're we're freeing up Tuesday night, and it was a long long running, well respected show. <sighs> there must have been yeah. something else. I, I I cannot believe it was that one show was just the, the oh, that fell. On that no, no 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 Sean, it was. To be fair, that must have been kind of weirdly liberating because you're like, whatever happens, it can never be as bad as that again. There is that. There is that. There is that sense of of like, yeah, I've 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 found the floor. You know, F L O O R. I have found the floor. There may be a basement, but I've definitely found a concrete floor here, and and I'm on it. And there is there is something again to me back to the voice in the head. We can berate ourselves and and, and just be like, or we can go. On a meta level, that show was a scene in the show of my life and their life. Yeah, and if there was no adversity, it wouldn't be as engaging a show. Do you know what I mean? There's always uh, a bit of an exactly. So you know, and you came out stronger for it, John. So that's the most important. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I came out. <laughs> that was your name. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my bit. Yeah, have you seen me in real life with this thousand-yard stare, just going Tuesday night, that Tuesday night, that that Tuesday night? Sometimes Noah was in. Still hear the coughing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that one scene, Noah, Noah, no, I'm so sorry. Oh my god, I love it. And um, what's the best improv show you've ever seen, John? It's really, really, really hard to say. Um, I can't pick one. Um, it would it would be between Deep Schwa, thirty thirty three, and Revolver. Oh, it would so be all bet- solid choices. To be fair. Yeah, it, I mean Sunday night at IO, it would be Deep Schwa. F- uh, yeah, Deep Schwa followed by thirty thirty three. I mean, you know, you can't pick one out from that. It was it would be one of those three for sure. You enjoy that kind of high-energy, playful kind of show. Because, like, Revolver are really playful. Oh, man. And yeah. 33 fuck with each other so much. Oh, <laughs> so, God. And Deep Schwab would be the same. Like, it, it, there's a, a, a real sense of joy in play in those shows. So that's yeah. the thing that stands out to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the sense of freedom. The sense, the freewheeling, anarchic. Yeah, that's, 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 what's, that's, what, that's what sticks out for me. Yeah, I'd be the same exactly. They're the shows I really yeah. enjoy. And yeah. uh, 
who would you love to improvise with? Not many you haven't improvised with at this point. Oh, Jesus. Just anybody that hasn't been ticked off the list. Oh, that's really that's a really tough question, actually. Um, that's very difficult to answer. I've never well, there's people I've never improvised with that I've sort of bumped into. Uh, the thing is, it's a hard question to answer because just because you enjoy someone doesn't mean you want to improvise with them. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get you. Like you, you enjoy watching them on stage, but you you, you might gel as a, like a duo or within a team. Yeah. So I think like. Like, I mean, I think Craig Euler's amazing. Or what would I be like with him in a show? No idea. Yeah, no one's really coming to mind, I'm afraid. Yeah. CBC. If you think of someone, Matt. CBC, yeah. If, 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 we'll just edit it in. Why don't I just list Why don't I just list 15 improvisers and then you just pick one? <laughs> yeah, I'll just put it in a sound bite of you saying a random name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or someone no one's ever heard of. Yeah, there you go. Well, actually, I've yeah. got some random ones. Like uh, one lady I imp- uh, interviewed from uh, Finland said her mother. And, oh, wow. And um, somebody else said Barack Obama. And uh, <laughs> so I've had some non-improv suggestions. As well that. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't, I, didn't even, I didn't even widen it out. Hmm. But um, is there anything you'd like to promote at the moment, John? Have you, uh, obviously, you've got your uh, retreat coming up, but that's sold out. Is there any shows, or workshops, or anything like that you'd like to? I, I don't. I don't. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no I don't know why. Why on earth did I bother? Why did I bother doing this? Uh, <laughs> got no, not selling anything. What's wrong with me? I, uh, yeah. Um, anything that anything the Maydays do, I, I'm, I'm biased, but anything the Maydays do is is likely to be pretty damn good i would say any any of our shows or classes the retreat's amazing but it's 20 people on the waiting list it's massively oversold that is the hot ticket Uh, well john thank you so much for coming on the podcast today it's been so much fun talking to you i really really enjoyed it and it was absolutely fascinating hearing your thoughts Uh, And like I hope you, our paths will cross in London sometime. Oh uh, yeah, capacity. that'd be really fun. Yeah, even if you know what I'm doing to you, it'll still be fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna find the end. Oh, uh, nowhere to, nowhere to hide. <laughs> nowhere to hide. Put the gold leaf away. Everyone will be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> exactly. And then <laughs> feel free to shout at me because we, we've met each other yeah. now oh. to a certain extent. <laughs> okay, I've got that. I've got that. I've got evidence of that. So here we go. <laughs> but John, thank you again, and have yeah. a great evening. And uh, like I said, be safe, and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. My pleasure, Sean. Thank you for having me. Ah, oh, so great catching up with John. He's such a great guy. I highly recommend checking out the Maydays, their courses, and their shows. Also, if you get the opportunity, I'd highly recommend a workshop with John. I'm definitely going to look into it myself. I think he'd be a fantastic teacher. Well, that's it, guys, for Season 1 of Electric Priest Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Big shout-out to Crowander for the theme music Space Fun, to Adam Deveni, sound tech extraordinaire. I want to do a big thank you to all of the guests and to all of you wonderful people for listening. Thank you so much. Come back for Season 2 whenever that does come out. I'll try to make it soon. But until then... Look after yourselves, be safe, and hopefully talk to you soon. Bye.